You are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. It is the third and final hour of Miller and Moulton along the network. Mark Packer from the ACC Network to talk college football in a little more than 30 minutes. Pat Kerwin, kind enough to join us once again at this time. He of NFL Radio's Move of the Chains. CBS's NFL Today show. Joining us once again, courtesy of Pinchers, Tampa to Key West, and all points in between Pinchers, where you can't fake fresh. So when do you head to Indianapolis? Uh, Tuesday morning, bright and early, and um, I landed 10 o'clock, so I think the fight's 7. And then um, we start the interviews with the GMs and coaches. Uh, I've just looked at my schedule. The player interviews start on Wednesday. They have me scheduled for 45 player interviews. Between head coaches and GMs, it's probably going to be 60 of them between Tuesday and uh, and Saturday. I, I get out of there at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So well, that's there's it. A, I'm, there's a, a lot of good players. There's a hockey game Saturday night, Mark. I mean, he's got to be back. Well, there are there are things that are important. I mean, there's the combine, and then there's a minor league hockey game Saturday night. And Again, Mark, you have them in the wrong order. I cannot believe we've gone over this for 20 years. <laughs> 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 you know, what are we going to add to this? NFL Radio, CBS NFL Today Show, ECHL Weekly? I mean, what are we going to add? Yeah, well, feel free. I've been there long <laughs> enough. <laughs> but anyway, I heard you guys talking about uh, the Madden game. Trent all of a sudden perked right up. Wanted to know all about that stuff. It's a long story, Trent. We don't need to raid waste yet, radio time, but I can definitely uh, explore with you all the things I did. It was a very interesting time in my life. All right, um, the combine. You uh, yeah. you had a little talk on your show yesterday about it. This thing was started out as a medical. It's turned into a full blown week. It's on NFL Network. Is this still necessary? Well, the NFL has another event to fill a month that they didn't have any events. So yeah, it's very necessary to them. But uh, didn't Sean McVay just say he's not going? He won't be the only one not going. Um, the more publicized it is the less these guys feel like they're in the building writing down notes and all of a sudden there's cameras zooming on them and there's people wanting to sit down, so they lose interest in doing it. Uh, the interviews are are basically videotaped so the, the coaches can sit at home and watch them. And with Zoom, they can watch them live. They can actually ask questions if they want to. But most of them are discouraged by the interviews because the players are so rehearsed and give such ridiculous answers. you got to get through all that stuff. And you got to get down to uh, the core issues that are on your mind. And don't waste a lot of time asking him what his mom does for a living, how many brothers and sisters, all that nonsense. Fill out a form for that and then get to some hard questions. But a lot of guys aren't great interviewers. And I'm not talking about the players. I'm talking about the coaches. And they, you know, they got to learn how to be able to be abrupt and get in the middle of something meaty as fast as possible. And the players are taking one interview after another. So... Imagine if the three of us had an interview every 15 minutes. We'd figure out the system pretty quickly, and and to relieve boredom, just just roll through them and not say anything. So it, it's gotten it's got it watered down a little bit in that area. Is this where the standardized test, for lack of a better phrase, is given out? And after what came of C.J. Stroud last year. Is this going to go away finally, Pat, once and for all? That, you know, this is like, to me, kind of the analytics discussion. You know, yes, it, it 
I guess has some meaning, but live games are its own animal. I mean, it's the same way, you know, Dan Marino and CJ Stroud tested very badly. They obviously can play the position. The test didn't apply. Or is this where the testing takes place? And are we going to be done with it? We won't be done with it. Uh, but the big marquee names, the lock first rounders, they're going to refuse. Most of them will refuse to take it. But if you were a fourth rounder, your agent tells you you might be a sixth rounder. We got to go there and impress people to be move up a round or two. Not that it always happens that way, but the agents will tell them those guys will take the test. They'll stand on their head for a few hours if you ask them to, because they're trying to get in this league and they will not feel like they could say, I'm not taking the test. But the first rounder, the high first rounders, they're going to refuse to take it uh, more and more because, and this happened with the Wonderlook test. It's not just the S2, right. which le- leaked out, but the Wonderlook was the same problem. And uh, the NFL did not do a very good job of finding out who was leaking those um, and fire them. But uh, yeah, I think more and more the big agencies, athletes first, I know those guys, they're telling their high profile clients, don't, don't take the S2 test. Pat, I was driving in this morning listening to a show, and they were talking about how, you know, Drake May is a generational talent. This guy's a generational talent. And I happened to just see a tweet from Kurt Warner, who at the end of it says, you know, talks about the quarterback play, and he says, as I watch college football, it's hard for me to watch. Few quarterbacks play on schedule. The pass concepts are a mess most of the time, and they run the same play over and over. A million bubble screens. Can't find many concepts that translate to the next level, and when people are asked to figure out how good they will be at the next level, it's nearly impossible in my mind. I tend to lean towards Kurt. When I hear these people talking about generational talent, I don't know how they know. Pat, where are you when it comes to quarterbacks in general and what you can learn from their college film? Well, you got to draft what's in front of you. So that's the first problem. There is no other talent pool. So you've got to sort your way through this stuff. I recall Pat Mahomes, people that didn't like him, um, and we know Shanahan was one of them. They didn't like him as a player, but they didn't want to take him. Why? Because of the system he was in. And they looked at it and go, oh, all this stuff, no huddle, spread offense, hand signal plays, never getting under center, all that stuff. And so some people shy away from those because of the mistakes that they've made doing it. But you have to you have to take from this talent pool. And generational talent, now there's a nonsense comment. Why don't we wait a generation and then look back and think if he was one <laughs> to proclaim these guys anything but candidates to succeed or fail is a mistake. And then you have to think about who you're going to put them with. How are they going to insulate them enough that they can grow and and step into the next phase of their life and be successful? Justin Fields, you know, he what growth did you see from year two to three? Not enough for me to like him. And he should have been growing by now. The old Gil Brandt rule, 21 games, start evaluating. Um, so I don't buy any of those kind of things, generational talent. I will say this, in just a discussion I was having yesterday, with a former GM and then with a couple of other guys. Uh, the guy that's getting a little warm and hot right now is the LSU quarterback. Should be. Yeah. And so what did the world do that has nothing to do with decision-making? They placed him third months ago. Third. Um, and so I don't know that he's third. 
Uh, so it's, it's interesting to see, but we're just starting the process. Coaches are just starting to watch these guys. None of those guys were at the senior bowl to watch them physically, nor should they have been there. I get that part, but I just think, I will say this, coaches tend to keep an open mind a lot longer because they know they got to coach these dudes and they know what their system's going to be like. And I'm not a big system guy. My attitude has always been, if you draft that guy, don't make him something he's not. Go decide to do it. I give Ron Rivera a lot of credit for how he handled Cam Newton. I give the Ravens a lot of credit for how they're handling Lamar. They're making Lamar what Lamar is. And so if you take Drake May, you're taking a pocket passer. You take Caleb Williams, you're taking an ad-lib quarterback. You think you should take the ad-lib guy and lock him in a pocket? I don't know if that's going to work. And I certainly don't know if Drake May running around is going to work either. Uh, so, And if you take uh, the kid from LSU, Daniels, you, you know what you're taking. You're taking a guy that's going to probably play more like Lamar than anybody else. So get ready for that. So I, I, I just think that we... The people who say those things are not decision makers in the National Football League. So I could argue that Daniels from LSU is the most impressive. He threw 22 touchdowns from the pocket last year with no interceptions. And everybody's focusing on how much he runs. He was a dynamic passer. Dynamic. Yes. Passer. Okay. Also a dynamic runner, but a dynamic passer. He's 6'3", I believe. Yep. He's got skinny legs, though. I mean, when you look at him, you see RG3. Little bigger, but you see someone in which you wonder, kind of like what we've wondered with Tua. Hmm. Is he just physically going to be able to take the pounding that you need to take at this position? How big of a deal is that with you? Well, the first thing I would do, if that came up in a discussion is I'd whip out the picture from the combine of Lamar because Lamar has done a nice job of filling out his body. It's not hard to fill these guys out. It's not the hardest thing in the world. So I would go back and remind everybody of what Lamar looked like. And you'd even could go back and look at Mahomes. They're still making fun of Mahomes. Mahomes says they still give him a hard time in the locker room when he's walking around. So yeah, is it an issue? It is, but here's how I looked at him. And this is kind of, I have my own rules for how I look at everything. Running backs, no way am I looking at any plays when it's third and 20 and you get the draw. That's not a run play to me. That's just get some yards before we punt and they'll give them to you. But I looked at uh, Daniels only against Southeast Conference schools. So that kind of puts me in a position where I know what he can do against as close to pro football as I can get him. Um, and so when you do that, how about these numbers? Against the Southeast Conference schools, 25 touchdowns, three interceptions in eight games. Against just the Southeast Conference schools, 100 rushes. All right, 100 rushes, 875 yards, seven touchdowns. So that, to me, is what I'm looking at with these guys. I'm not watching the game. No offense to Coastal Carolina or whoever else they're going to play. Not looking at those games not using those stats. So I think Jay, uh, Daniels holds up extremely well against the big boys. Well, it's it's funny, Pat, because Miller and Moulton for the longest time have always been, we'd probably draft most of our guys out of the SEC or Big Ten and big schools who played against big-time opponents. You've always had a soft spot at the Senior Bowl for some of these smaller school guys occasionally. 
when you draft when you were working the league and draft, we got less than a minute. What was the intangible that that guy had? Well, going to the Senior Bowl solves part of the problem because now you put him against the guys from the Southeast Conference in the Big Ten, and then you see if he can distinguish himself. Now we've got some crazy things going on. That kid verse at Florida State, he's going to be a first-round draft pick pass rusher. The guy went to Albany in New York. It's a 1AA school out of Pennsylvania, and they had to redshirt him his freshman year. And after two years, and one of them was the COVID year with four games, he plays well enough to stick his name in the portal. Florida State takes him. So that guy kind of intrigues me. So you got to see him against real competition or take him in late rounds. He's Pat Kerwin. NFL Radio's Move of the Chains is weekdays 3 to 7. Of course, he's part of CBS's NFL Today show. He's heading to the Combine next week. More with Pat after this. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. Our remaining moments with Pat Kerwin, who joins us once again, courtesy of Pinchers, Tampa to Key West, all points in between Pinchers, where you can't fake fresh. Uh, listen, we were just talking the Madden video game during the break. If you take in Miller and Moulton on Twitch.tv, you can see and hear our commercial break discussions. So the EA college football video game is coming out after an 11-year hiatus they're offering the players 600 bucks and a copy of the video game to use their name, image, and likeness. And we talked about also the six guys whose broadcasters will be in the game. And I said, Pat, that you know EA, in my opinion, could have played like the NFL in the Super Bowl. They could have said to the broadcasters, uh, you want to be in it? We're not going to pay you, but you get all the exposure and the status that comes with it, yes or no. Uh, do you think, A, that would fly, and B, if I offered just $600 and a copy of the Madden video game, would you do it? Um, well, I know the pressure they're going to be under not to do it, but I think a lot of guys will do it. The players still take it serious how they're rated in the game. They still complain about I'm rated too slow and all that business. But back when it was the NFL game, not they did not have – they had not captured all the teams – uh, and able to put those electrodes on all the players to, and you know, Dallas was one of them. And I knew Stephen Jones very well. And I, I was with Stephen at the owners meetings and, and the head of EA was there and I coordinated a meeting and I said, Hey, you're one of the only teams that the, the players aren't measured yet. He goes, well, why? I said, cause someone in your organization has told us, you know, take a walk. And then he goes, well, send your people out. So they, all the players at the Cowboys did it for free. Um, so they do like being in the game, but life has changed. It's different now. And the, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it the players union in college, but they're going to tell the players not to do it. And there'll be some that won't do it, but a lot of guys will, uh, 602 games and I'm on (laughs) (laughs) one for my brother. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Justin Fields, what's he going to get? What are they going to get for him? And where's he in your estimation? Where's the best place for him to land? Um, I wouldn't trade him. I've said that before, and I'll say it again. He'd be playing in that cheap fourth year for me while I'm holding my rookie on the sideline. That's what I'd be doing, number one. But when you move him, I, I think it's going to have to be a ladder deal because you, you can't sell him high because he hasn't done anything. He's won 28% of his game. So to me, it's going to be like 
what did Trey Lance get? He'll get more than Trey Lance. Trey Lance really didn't even play. So how about a third? And then we'll we'll build some stuff in for the draft after that. Like, you know, if he lands up throwing 30 touchdowns, it goes to a second. If he goes to the Pro Bowl legitimately, it goes to a first. You just build the ladder. So everyone's protected. And uh, and you take the low compensation now. And But I wouldn't trade him. But if they do, I think it's going to be like that. I don't think it's going to be a big number. Pat, what do you do if you're Pittsburgh? You're two years in on Pickett. You really don't know if he's the answer. And there's a little more pressure to start winning bigger than you're winning. The fan base is tired of being a 6-7 seed that sneaks in and is one and done. And the conference that you're in, look at the quarterbacks you're going up against. I mean, what do you do if you're Pittsburgh? Do you do you just say, well, we drafted him in the first round, we're stuck with him? Or do you say, you know what, call Kirk Cousins? Well, I think a lot of guys need Kirk Cousins, a lot of guys. And then do you want to pay him the $45 million that he's going to ask for, fully guaranteed for three years? We know how he operates. He's always a three-year fully guaranteed guy. So they probably won't do that. I think what they're going to do, and whether you like it or not, is they're going to finally give uh, Mason enough money that the contract reflects he's competing to start. And you put them both out there and you figure out who the guy is. And the year from now, if that's not good, you go draft another one. I don't think the management and certainly not the ownership wants to give up on the rookie draft pick. They don't want to do that. They want to give him another year. That's been the Steelers style forever. And that's what they're going to do. And so I think it's that. And the one thing about the Roonies, they love the fans, but they don't listen to them. <laughs> they're guiding the ship here. And then, and then lo and behold, almost every time the fans find out the Roonies knew what they were doing. That's why they've been successful for so long. If you looked at Ben Roethlisberger, his rookie year, uh, you would be a little nervous that he yeah, was the a, franchise. But, but, Pat, you know it's a different league. 2004 and 2005 were Ben's first two years. You could win a Super Bowl still by handing the ball to Jerome Bettis and Correct. having a terrific defense. And you can get to the playoffs, and maybe you can get to the divisional round. But at some point, I mean, the Steelers, since Ben's last year, are averaging less than one touchdown pass per game. You can't win big in the league that way anymore. Do you know the Roonies as I do? If you ran that story by the Roonies, they'd throw you out of their house. Okay. They've won three playoff games in nine years. Uh, I know. Okay. They're old school. You're, do they still they, do they still they believe they can win at running, though? I mean, do they, does, they believe they can win with defense, running the ball, and a quarterback that doesn't turn it over. Which is funny because when they've won big, they've had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Yeah. And now they don't give full credit to both of those guys. As no. The, well – Maybe they're wrong. Oh, I like your attitude. Well, you I'm just saying. I mean, you keep trying the Cliff Strouds mm. and the Mark Malones and the Kenny Pickett's of the world. And oh, you tell put me Kenny Pickett in with Mark's. You put Kenny Pickett in with them. They haven't done that yet. You did. They didn't. Well, that's on them. Instant D evaluator. One and a half years. Oh, Kenny Pickett, throw him out. No, I, not I'm not saying think. that. Listen, I don't think their offensive coordinator has been very good. I don't think that they're uh, schematically they've helped pick it out at all. I don't. But I just 
I mean, you're in the AFC. It's tough, man. You're in a high-rent district. Can you keep trying to sell your condo when you've got Kenny Pickett leading the tours? He hasn't led long enough for you to have that conclusion. The guys up in Cleveland, what are they doing? Paying $230 million for a guy that doesn't play well when he shows up? They beat Lamar. They know how to beat Lamar. Yeah, that's true. They do. And Cincinnati... They call them the Bungles. Well, he's got to play a couple full seasons. I mean, that, you know, Cincinnati. How about one? Right. <laughs> anyway, I'm talking to Omar on Tuesday. I'll give him your resume, Dave. Please do. <laughs> Please do. I will say I loved his offseason last year. Okay. Tell him I picked him to win the division last year. I was actually well, pretty high on Omar. You notice where the anger is coming from now? Well, it might have been cutting those two offensive linemen and then not having an offensive line last year when they thought they had one. So there, there are personnel the questions there. I did. They had Kenny Pickett under center. You know, the yeah. guy he loved a year ago. Now hates. I didn't. I don't hate. I just don't know if he's good enough. I He's actually the worst. I would rather him not be good because then it's easy. I can move on. This right. is the worst position to be in, Pat. Nine and 10 win land is the worst place to be. No, you never get to the top guy and you're never going anywhere. But you know, there's a lot of teams in that. And a lot of teams would love to be in that mode, but they, they don't believe they're staying there. He's Pat Kerwin, NFL Radio's Moving the Chain, CBS Sports, the NFL Today Show. He and David spar twice a week, courtesy of Pinchers. Pinchers with locations from Tampa to Key West where you can't fake fresh. I moderate from time to time. Other times, I'll jump on one side or the other, whichever one seems to be having a better no, day. No, you'll jump on Pat's side. Let's be honest. You'll jump on Pat's Mark, side 90% I expect, I expect your arrival every time, brother. Better than jumping off sides, Kadarius Tony, Blade of Grass. Remember that one? Oh, I'm the guy. You I'm, know what? I'm still on David's side with that one. Don't bring that one up right now. That'll get me in trouble. <laughs> you know, Pat, I feel like this is wrestling, and every time I think Mark is going to go on my side, he goes to the other side of the ring, and he taps Pat, and he says, I'm with you, buddy. You I got you. You know what? You know how much he pays me to even start these fights? <laughs> <laughs> Pat, have a great time at the Combine. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you guys next week. Pat Kerwin, twice a week, courtesy of Pinchers, where you cannot fake fresh. I love when you two spar. It's the best. I really do. It's funny. Everybody loves it but me. I always feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm bleeding out of the side. I feel like I've been gassed a little bit. Mark Packer, maybe he'll agree with me. He's next. You're listening to Miller and Moulton exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. 22 minutes till the top of the hour. He says we can call him all the time, and yet we don't call him enough. We don't want to bother him, but we love when he says yes. He's Mark Packer, host of ACC PM weekdays, 4 o'clock on the ACC Network. You can follow him on Twix, Twitter slash X, at Mark Packer, P-A-C-K-E-R. Mark, it's David and Mark. Thanks for doing this. Hope you and the family are well. How are you? We are. We appreciate that. You can bug me anytime. It's uh, always a pleasure being on the show with you guys. Uh, You're very uh, gracious in saying and doing that. Hey, before we get to why it is we wanted you on, I think the ACC's got an image problem in basketball, something I never thought I would say in my lifetime. I mean, if we start doing the blind resumes about the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh best teams in the ACC, 
I think they compare favorably with the Big Ten and some other conferences. Do you think the ACC's got an image problem when they do this, how many bids conferences are going to get? Your beloved ACC keeps getting like three, maybe four. Yeah, David, I think they'll eventually get five, and in a perfect world, six. Uh, but I do think there's some narratives out there that are just completely whacked out. And I'm not even saying that just as a guy employed by ESPN on the ACC network. I've grown up in this league, and, um, you know, is it what it used to be? No, it's not. I mean, back in the 80s and the 90s, uh, it was stupid good. But I would even say within the last three years, you look what this conference has done in the NCAA tournament, I'm not really taking a back step to anybody. I mean, I know the Big 12 is cutting down more nets the last couple of years, but in terms of wins and losses, uh, they've kind of dwarfed everybody. So is it as good as it used to be? No. Uh, but, you know, what was? I mean, the Big East was awesome. The ACC was awesome back, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But I think when you lose guys like Krzyzewski and Roy Williams and Jim Beheim, a legendary coaches of all time, I think the initial reaction is, without even doing a deep dive, is, well, they can't be as good as those guys, right? I mean, you you know, Hubert Davis is not going to be as good as Roy Williams. John Shire, despite winning an ACC title last year, is not going to be Mike Krzyzewski. And Red Autry is just getting underway, and he's not going to be the legend that's Jim Beheim. So I think immediately to the outsiders that aren't doing really any deep-dive homework and, and prep, the initial reaction is, well, they've lost all these legends, and this is kind of a, a rebuild. And in some respects it is. But I think if you do a deep dive in the league, uh, it's pretty deep and it's pretty talented. And, you know, Carolina and Duke are still Carolina and Duke. I mean, you can't say the league's down when the, when the two Blue Bloods are ranked in the top ten. But I think Wake Forest is a really good team, uh, even though Joe Lenardi, for whatever reason, has them on the outs. I did a whole thing this week that Wake Forest, based on the net, whether you think the net's right, wrong, or indifferent, it is what's the, used as the metric. Uh, the net, uh, Wake Forest is the third best team according to the net in the league. And when you look at the third-best team uh, in the Mountain West Conference, believe it or not, they've got six teams getting in, and they never do anything other than San Diego State. But, you know, they got a team seated five or six line. Uh, the, the Auburn, I think, is the third-ranked team in the SEC. They're a two, three, or four seed. I mean, so you go through all these power leagues. Wisconsin is the third-best team in the Big Ten. They're 21 in the net. They're a four or five seed. Wake's on the outs. I mean, what are we talking about? So, Again, I'm not a bracketologist. I don't even claim to be one. It's dorktology as far as I'm concerned. It's kind of filler. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's dorktology because all it is is a creation of filler to kill time before we get to March Madness. See, this will all play itself out. you got to win games to get in. Uh, but I do think the league does have an image problem with certain people around the country uh, trying to beat a narrative. But the conference is, is very good, very talented. But is it as great as it was in the 80s and 90s? No, it's not, and I don't think anybody would argue that. Mark, we obviously had you on not only to talk a little basketball, but to talk what's going on in football, the, the lawsuits between the ACC and Florida State, and now more coming out with ESPN suing Florida State. Um, how do you see the end game between Florida State and the ACC? Uh, it's a lose-lose proposition. I said that on the air. I probably got in trouble behind the scenes. I really don't care at this point. Um, you, you know, you can't have a brand – as powerful as Florida State, even though their football has been, quote-unquote, down, even though they won the ACC and got screwed in the college football playoff, uh, their brand is still excellent. And you can't have a brand as powerful as Florida State 
uh, suing a league that is looking to better itself at every cost. They're not trying to screw anybody. I think at the end of the day, when you got people suing everybody and now ESPN involved again, I'm an employee. I don't think this could be a positive end, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe at the end of the day, if Florida State really does win out, apparently they do, at what cost is that going to be to them? And the other thing is, you know, other leagues are looking around going, hey, wait a minute, man. Yeah, this is not the way you conduct business. And, uh, you know, when Florida State started barking with their regents and board of governors or whatever they call themselves and made it public, that, that wasn't a good fit for the ACC. That ruffled a lot of feathers. Uh, you got to get no problem with trying to better yourself. But I think at the end of the day, this is a lose-lose proposition. I don't think it's good for the league. I don't think it's great for Florida State. Um, and quite frankly, for ESPN getting involved, I mean, how messy can this possibly get? The answer is extremely messy. Uh, even if at the end of the day it's negotiated and Florida State gets out and it costs them hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever the number is going to be, um, at the end of the day, I just don't think this is great business for all parties involved, quite frankly. Do you think that they are a one-off? You know, Because if I'm the ACC, obviously Florida State wants a divorce and it's going to be costly and messy, but it's likely going to happen. When one side wants a divorce, eventually we end up in divorce. But yep. do you think that there are other schools that – are just waiting to leave, or do you think Florida State is a lone wolf? Uh, I don't think they're a lone wolf. I, I think everybody's out for themselves. Um, this is this is true whether we're talking about the ACC, uh, any other league, me, you, or your next-door neighbor. I mean, at some point in time, everybody's looking to put themselves in a better position. Uh, Florida State has made it public. Um, I, I think there's other schools in the ACC uh, that quite frankly, when Oklahoma and Texas decided to say adios, we're going to go join the SEC. I think every lawyer that was associated with any institution said, "Hey, man, let's take a look at this grant of rights. How does this thing work?" Um, so you know, people have been working on this for a long, long time. Dave, this wasn't something that just was concocted in Tallahassee, Florida, a couple of months ago, where they said, "Hey, man, we can need to get out of this grant of rights." And what's the deal? And why can't we get the paperwork out of Greensboro now, Charlotte? So. Uh, people have been working on this for a long time. I don't think Florida State's the only school. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, greed is what is rounding college athletics. We're seeing it not only uh, with this lawsuit and with everything that's happened in the past, or even starting to watch it in the college football playoff where we're getting ready to go to 12 teams, and now all of a sudden we're having arguments and discussions about, hey, let's get this thing to 14 or 16 because we can make more money. So, at the end of the day, if you want the answer to a question, follow the money. So, no, I don't think Florida State's the only school. I don't even think the ACC's the only league where this has taken place. Um, so, again, we'll see how it plays out. We're living in the, probably the craziest times in the history of college athletics. Uh, and quite frankly, a lot of it saddens me in the big picture, but it is what it is. It just seems, Marcus, as you said, there are other schools involved, but if North Carolina were involved, what would that do to the ACC? Because they seem to be the glue of that conference, and there's always talk of North Carolina being linked to the Big Ten. If that were to happen, that that guts the conference, right? Well, I think that if, listen, if you have uh, a mass defection, uh, we've already seen how this works. Um, you know, go ask the Pac-12. Who, by the way, congratulations to them. They announced the new conference commissioner 
Right. She's in charge of two teams. I don't I even know. understand how that works, but good for them. But no, you, if you have a mass defection, uh, and for argument's sake, let's just say all hell breaks loose and Florida State's gone and Clemson wants to leave and Carolina and Virginia are appealing because the AAU stuff to the Big Ten or wherever everybody goes. I, mean, I don't even know. Um, yeah, then, then all of a sudden the ACC, as you know it, is no longer as you know it. So, yeah, I mean, that's how that trickle-down effect works, and that's why all eyes are on Florida State in this lawsuit. And now that ESPN's gotten involved, and again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not even – I don't even like to talk about it on the air because it just gets to be it drive your drive you nuts uh, trying to figure out connecting all the dots. It'll all work itself out one way or the other, but I don't think it's a win-win proposition. Like I said to you earlier, I, you're just asking for for dirty laundry and problems for everybody at the end, and it's going to cost everybody a fortune to get to the final point, and that's unfortunate for everybody. Mark, you live and work in a part of the country where college sports is adored more than pro sports. What is your audience? What are your neighbors telling you about college sports right now? Is it a turnoff? Is it, well, I still love it. I just may not love it as much. Is this a, hey, man, it's change. You know, suck it up, deal, get on board with it. All right, I'm just curious. What, yeah, it's the, a great question, and, and I, to be honest with you, I have it with myself, David, all the time. Um, and and i be honest with you, I don't like it. Um, you know, what I grew up with, what you grew up with, what anybody who's got any age to them grew up with, that day's over. Um, it's not coming back. And for folks who are like, well, the good old days, I say it all the time, man, the genie's out of the bottle. And they're like, well, can we put the genie back in the bottle? I'm like, screw that. We don't even know where the bottle is. Forget the genie. Where's the bottle? Um, it's a different universe. And quite frankly, what worries me as a fan of college sports is do we have the really smart people, and there are a bunch of them, uh, in a position to make a change? Or is it going to be too late? I mean, the NCAA was sound asleep. They had horrific leadership, still questionable in that department. They could have gotten in front of this and at least put some guardrails and some guidelines where it wasn't just the wild, wild west. I mean, we've got a guy like Nick Saban. And God bless him that he wants to still be a voice in trying to straighten us out. And I'm all for him being involved in trying to do that. But what he's telling you, as a retiree, it is not college football anymore. And this is the greatest coach of all time. But if you're not paying attention to what he just said, you don't know what's going on. So uh, is it a turnoff? I think uh, for me it has been. And, you know, again, I'm covering this every single day. I don't like where it's going, but there's nothing I can do about it. My job's to report as opposed to try to be the news. So um, I'm worried about it, where it's going. I think if it gets to the point where greed gets so out of control that we only have the top 10 or 15 teams in America that are willing to pay crazy dollars just to have a football program or a basketball program, uh, we're going to kill this thing. And, um, and I hate to be you know to that end. I Hopefully we can get in front of it a little bit and at least kind of guide it through where there's at least some regulations involved. But um, I got a real problem with college athletics where it is right now. It's, it is, if I wanted the NFL, I'd watch the NFL, you know, and this isn't the National Football League. And Saturdays are different than Sundays. Uh, and for folks that love college sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, it's unfortunate, but that is the world that we live in, David, and it has turned in the last couple of years literally 180 degrees. It really has. 
Uh, final point here in our final moments. Miller and Moulton, it's not necessarily what we want, but we're of the belief that where we are now, they're going to have to make the athlete employees. It's the only way they're going to rein in the money, get the cost controls they want. We all know when it's employer-employee, the employee doesn't have as much rights as they think they do. Do you think that the college athlete's going to end up being an employee? Uh, I, if you would have asked me this question a couple years ago, and I said you're, there's absolutely no way. Uh, the fact you just asked, asked me that question in the last 20 seconds, I, I do think that's a possibility. Um, and I really believe that if we get to that point, um, we're all in deep trouble. I mean, we have lost the sight of what a student-athlete in the college experience is all about, and that is to get an education. And it's amazing to me in the last couple of years with all the stuff that's going on with transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, I mean, you go through the whole litany of things. How often do we ever hear anybody talking about education? The answer is you almost never hear it. Um, in fact, I go back to what Nick Saban said this week. He said, you know, the student-athlete doesn't exist anymore. Well, that might be true in the SEC. I can assure you it's not the truth in the ACC. But in the big picture of how all of this is working, we have lost sight of what an education is all about. This has turned into nothing more than a money fest, a greed fest, and that's what worries me. And, um, you know, if we can't figure that part out, David, we're going to have employees, and this is going to be the NFL light and the NBA light. And, you know, if you still want to watch it and go, that's great. And if you don't, you'll find something to do, um, just like anything else, whether it be a radio show, a TV show, or college athletics. I mean, if you like it, you'll buy into it. If you don't, you'll find a thousand things you can do with your time and your money. So, like I said, we're living in the most uh, most fascinating times in the history of college athletics, and I'm just curious to see if the smart people can get a rein on it before it's too late. Mark, we said it 15 minutes ago, and we mean it. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. All the best. Continued success. And uh, maybe we can talk again during the tournament. Bug me anytime. I look forward to it. Mark Packer, ACC PM, weekdays 4 o'clock on the ACC Network. Follow him on Twix, Twitter slash X at Mark Packer, P-A-C-K-E-R. Well, there was a rosy picture being painted. He seems full of optimism for college sports. Along the network, have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday morning. And the 239, the Diamond District bonus hour is next.